You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 19. Title of this psalm in my Bible says, The Law of the Lord is Perfect. And then there's a subtitle that you'll see on the screen which says, To the Choir Master, a Psalm of David. It's an interesting subtitle. I'm going to explain that here in a bit. Begin in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. (coughs) More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we ask, we ask, Father, that you would come and speak to us through your word this morning. Well, we ask that you would come and do something that is absolutely impossible for me as a human. We ask, God, that you would come by the power of your spirit, through the preaching of your word, speak to every single person in this room, every single person who would hear your word and who would hear this message, we ask that you would speak to every single one of us in unique and powerful and personal ways. God, we ask that you would come and speak words of life, words of encouragement, words of strength, words of healing. Even God, we ask and we beg you to speak words of rebuke and correction that you would unveil places of our heart where we are broken and rebellious and shaking our fist against you. We ask God that you would speak a word into those places of our heart so that we might also hear your invitation to come and to spend time in your presence, trust you, to be healed by you, to be loved by you, to be showered by your mercy and your grace. Father, we pray that you would come and do this and more among all of us. And we trust you to do just that, to speak to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, 
Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> hey, I want to start us off with a question to hopefully kind of get you thinking about where we're headed in this text. Here's the question I want to ask you. I want you to think about this over the next few moments. When was the last time that you heard God speak to you personally? When was the last time that you heard God speak to you personally? What did He say? Where were you at? What was going on? What should your response be? When was the last time that you heard God speak to you? One of the earliest memories that I have of God speaking to me was at the end of a bumper on a Toyota 4Runner in June of 2000. Most of you have heard this story. It's one I love to share often because it's the first time that I heard God speak to me. I was 22 years old, right? Running as hard as I could away from God. Running as fast as I possibly could away from God. I'll never forget that day because... On that day, I was drunk, I was high, I was on my motorcycle, pulled out in front of a truck, doing 50 miles an hour, they hit me from the left-hand side, right? I'll never forget that day. That SUV uh, hit me, body flies up onto the hood, into the windshield, down the side of the car, eventually underneath the car, out the back side. Uh, no doubt about it, that day I should have been dead. There's no reason that I'm standing in front of you today except by the grace of God, right? And here's the thing, that day when I awoke in the middle of the street with my left foot backwards because my left femur bone was broken in half, had a broken collarbone, broken ribs, staring up into the big old blue sky on Highway 2 in Lincoln, in those moments I heard God's voice loud and clear, speaking to me, calling me out of my rebellious living, out of my destructive lifestyle, into a saving relationship with Jesus. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that God called me to Himself under the expanse of this big, beautiful blue sky, bridal sun, middle of the afternoon, clouds just rolling through as I laid there in a heap of the consequences of my own rebellion and sin. Never forget that day. I would imagine, as I read Psalm 19, the King David, the author of this psalm, imagine that David would have had somewhat of a, a similar uh, experience. David was not a perfect man. And in fact, uh, I think there are many in David's life who would have struggled to even call him a good man at times. So oftentimes when we think about David, regardless of how much time we've spent in church, we've heard the stories. We think about David, we think about David as the man when he was a little boy, killed the giant, right? And then in Sunday school, we teach kids, you've got to be like David. No, actually, you need to be like Jesus. We remember, though, that David killed the giant with a combination of a slingshot, a smooth stone, and something we oftentimes leave out, the giant's own sword. David, things I want to say about David. And we think about you think about a kid picking up a giant's own sword and then hacking his head off, that's a movie. I'd like that movie to be made. 
That's something we think about when we think of David, though. You know, I mean, it's, it blows the doors off the Christian movies that we sometimes see today. I'm not throwing shade on Christian movies. Please hear me right. Anyways, man, he evaded, he evaded the murderous threat on his life. There was a hit put out on his life from his own father figure, King Saul. Saul was jealous of David. Um, another good thing we think about when we think of David is that he reigned as the mighty king of Israel for 40 years. Can you imagine reigning, leading, ruling a country for 40 years and doing it pretty well? So, so the reality here is that David did have a number of notches on his belt in terms of all the good things that he had done. But the reality about David is that this same David in Scripture also used his political power to rape the woman next door, have her husband murdered, and then even later on down the line, he ignores the rape of his own daughter by one of his own sons. That's a jacked up family. So any of us that were like, I don't know if I can come to Jesus the way that I am. Have you seen me? Have you seen my family? No, go look at David's family. You think you're family's jacked up. His was jacked up, okay? He ignored that happening in his family. Um, he also, at some point, took a census of the population of Israel that he ruled over, and the reason that he did it in those moments was to stroke his own ego. Look how big and bad and tough I am and how many people I am keen over. So this is David, a man full of pride at times as well. And then, and then if you don't know the story either, at the end of his life, I love this part. I love it, and it's scary, too, at the same time. I love it because it's not something that you, you, you commonly remember when you're thinking about David. Um, on his deathbed, he's getting ready to hand his throne over to his son, Solomon. <laughs> you know what some of his final words were? Hey, yo, Solomon, you remember those two guys that betrayed me a while back? You need to go make sure you take them out. Go take care of those guys on my behalf. Suffice it to say, when I envision David, I envision a pretty tough gangster. That's what I see. Tough dude. This is the David of the subtitle who wrote this psalm for the choir master to direct the, uh, you could say, church gathering of the nation of Israel in that time. But I want you to think about this too. This is also the same David whom God calls a man after my own heart. So, how do you reconcile those two things? This image of David who did some good things and also some horrifically horrible things. How do you reconcile that image of, of that man with what God says about that man who wrote this psalm? That he was a man who, who was after God's own heart. <coughs> the simple answer is that God calls David a man after his own heart. Why? Because of this, when God spoke, David listened. So I, put that in your memory bank. When God spoke, David listened. And not only listened, but he acted. David listened. When David looked up at the sky in all of his own brokenness and finiteness, meaning so small in comparison with the massive majestic God who created all this. When, when David looked up at the sky, he heard God speak through the cosmos. When David looked into God's word, oftentimes for David, 
This many were opening scrolls or hearing the voice of a prophet like Nathan coming into his life and being like, yo, don't walk that way or else. When David heard God speak through his word, he was humbled by his sinfulness. And when David heard God speak through the cosmos, and when he heard him speak through his word, what did David do? David listened, he repented, and he obeyed. That's the picture you get of David when you study his life. So, when was the last time you heard God speak to you? What did he say? And what was your response? What did he say? And what was your response? Because when you look at Psalm 19, one of the first things you see in verses 1 through 6, if you're looking at the first six verses, you you get this sense that God speaks through the cosmos, meaning all of creation around us, okay? How often? How often do you just take a few minutes to stop and breathe? Take in the beauty of the world around you. Let me think about this for a minute. Like for me, this happens oftentimes when I'm in the backyard mowing or riding my motorcycle down the highway or when I go hunting in the fall with my son. I don't know what, how, how this works for you, but, but how often? And when was the last time that you stopped and just breathed and just listened to God's voice through the beauty around us? The color of the sunset, the rays of light through an early morning fog, the blanket of stars against the black sky, sound of crickets in the dark, trickling creek bed in the early morning at the song of a morning bird right before sunup. The haunting hoot of an owl sundown. Lonely howl of coyotes off in the distance or the flash of lightning against the night sky or about the clap of thunder that just makes you jump out of bed. The bright light of a full moon at midnight. Clouds, clouds hanging low over the mountaintops. <coughs> About the, the crisp air after a fresh layer of snow. About the smell of pine trees in the fall. About the, the multicolored blanket of leaves on the ground at Thanksgiving. About the eruption of colors in the spring after a really long, cold winter. About the waves crashing on the beach in the heat of the summer. When was the last time you heard God speak to you through the cosmos, through His creation? What do you hear when you listen? Here's the reality, man, in verses 1 through 6. What does David say, man? He says that he hears the voice of God through the cosmos around him. He says that the, the heavens are shouting about the glory of God. The sky is preaching about God's creativity. He says that day in and day out, night after night, the creation around us is speaking about the knowledge of God. 
There's nowhere in all of creation, no time in all of creation where God's voice cannot or could not be heard in the cosmos. See, from the rising to the setting of the sun, the rising to the setting of the moon, the voice of God has never been silenced in the cosmos. When David took in the beauty of the cosmos, he heard the voice of God speaking to him. Listen to what one author says in relation to what I've been saying. One author said that if the sky is glorious, then the God who made it must be even more glorious. Because the skies are a constant, consistent witness across time by which men and women in every age and in every place have seen God's glory. Listen, as the sun pours down 120,000 terawatts of energy per day onto the earth. That's more than you or I could even come. That realization, this author says, teaches us that God. God, listen, God has surrounded us with a hymn book that is meant to awaken and guide our praise to God. It is as though God is standing right in front of us all day long, all night long, shouting at us at the top of our lungs to get our attention through the cosmos. So, I ask this question again. What do you hear when you listen? the cosmos around you. Think of this other way that David hears God speaking in the text that we just read. God, God speaks through His Word. God speaks through the Bible. God speaks through the Scriptures. What do you hear when you read God's Word? When you think about God speaking through the cosmos... And then also speaking through His Word, the vision that I want you to get here is that God wants to reveal Himself to all of us. And the way that He does that is by using a two-pronged approach. One prong of the fork is through the cosmos. The other prong of the, of the fork is through His Word. Oftentimes that Word is preached to you by somebody who comes to you. Either finds you in the middle of the street or comes to the porch on your house. You get found in a gas station parking lot. Um, <laughs> it could be a parent who speaks to you too. At the end of the day, though, there's two prongs. There's, there's creation and there's God's Word. The theologians, guys who are much smarter than me and usually have letters after their names, they call these two forms of communication. They call them Revelation, not like the book of Revelation, but Revelation in, in, in that God is revealing Himself to you. The cosmos is known in theological terms as general revelation. God's Word and preachers and missionaries and Christians who share the message of the Word, that is special revelation. So, everybody say general. Think of an army general. <laughs> It's general, it's not that way, it's a different kind of a, a general, okay, general, like I generally know that, and then special, everybody say special, okay, like every one of us in this room is special, but more like 
There's a special way in which God speaks so that you get all these details that you actually need that you don't generally get over here. Okay? So those are the two forms that God uses to reveal himself. <clears throat> God reveals himself generally through the cosmos and then especially through his word. And when you look at the cosmos, when God speaks through the cosmos around us, what you get is you get a sense that there is a powerful, majestic, wise God who like artistically created everything around us, right? Like, hey, there's a creation, there must be a creator, right? There's a Ford truck, there must be a Ford industry somewhere, okay? Same, same concept. Hey, there's a baby, <laughs> a man and a woman must have made that baby, a creator and a creation. Lots of ways you can talk about that. When you look at creation, you see there's a powerful, majestic, wise God who artistically created everything around us. But here's what you don't get in that. What you don't get is you don't get the full sense that God is our Redeemer in that revelation. You don't get that sense. I want to ask a question again. What do you hear when you read God's Word? Here's what David says in verses 7 through 11. He says in those verses that he hears the redeeming voice of God in his word, which is interesting because there's 66 separate books all throughout the Bible, all right? But they're all connected together, written by 40-plus authors over the course of 1,600 years. And, and, and they can be confusing, and they can be hard to read for us at times. But here's the reality. If you read all 66 of those books, the whole Bible, if you read it, and you just keep thinking, God is speaking about redemption all the way through, I trust me, the Holy Spirit will draw that together for you. You won't get everything in it, but what you'll see is you'll see the, from, from front to back, the, re, the, the, the common thread, the main theme, God's redemption of mankind. <coughs> and when David reads his word, that's what he hears is the voice of his Redeemer God. Here's what he says. It says that God's law is perfect. It makes us alive. This is that God's testimony is trustworthy, and it's certain. We can trust it to make us wise no matter what level of education we have, whether we can say the ABCs or not, right? God's precepts fill our hearts with overflowing joy. God's commandments are as pure as freshly fallen white snow. They're, they're good for helping us discern right from wrong. God's rules help us to be people who walk in the truth. So when David reads the word, he hears the redeeming voice of God. Now I want you to dig just a little bit deeper into these verses for a second with me. If you've got a Bible in front of you, even if you don't, just be thinking about this. Think about the, the descriptors of God's word that David uses here, okay? Think about the way he describes God's word. He uses five specific words to describe God's word. Let me rattle them off for you. Law, testimony, precepts, commandments, and rules. If you're trying to outline and write those down, I just went way too fast for you, but I'll, so I'll say it again, right? Law, testimony, precepts, commandments, and rules. Now the interesting thing about those five descriptors of God's word that David used here, it's the same outline, same five words in the same order that David uses in Psalm 119, which we won't get to for another 13 years, right? The same order and the same words that he uses there, both of these psalms written by the same author. 
What are they meant for? What's the meaning of that? Why is that important, right? Thanks, Joe, for sharing some information with us. Why does that really matter? That's the question we should always ask, right? The reason that matters is that those words, those five descriptors, remind us that God's word is meant to be the bread and meat of the Christian life. Why? It's meant to be the bread and meat of the Christian life because God's word is meant to be the treasure of a believer's heart. How does David say it? David says it here when he says that God's word is more valuable than all the gold in the world. Think about that. If somebody came to you, I mean, it's hard for us to imagine that that could ever really happen, right? Like, we kind of hear that analogy and we go, yeah, all the gold in the world? I'm, like, I'm never going to see that. Like, I know what I do for a living and how much money I make. I, I'm not, not going to get all the gold in the world. But, man, if you could just, like, imagine that for a minute. I don't know what moves your heart or excites you or gets you jacked up the most. I mean, but all the gold in the world moves a lot of people's hearts to being really excited, okay? If all the gold in the world was just dropped right here, right now, imagine how you would respond. Would you be like, How great are you, Lord? How would you sing worship songs? It wouldn't be no boring church service, would it? Wouldn't you just be like jumping for absolute crazy flipping joy? Great are you, Lord! That's how you'd sing that song, wouldn't it? I mean, there's nothing wrong with singing a song quietly. Don't get me wrong. Energy. Some excitement. Like, I'm happy I'm alive. I'm happy Jesus saved me, right? I mean, that would be happy I have his word. I'm more happy about that than I am if all the gold in the world was here. Not, not, David's not saying I'm just as happy with God's word as I would be with all the gold. I'm more happy. Imagine that. If we just pondered that as Christians and believers, what do you think that would do for the excitement and the joy of your soul? Not only that, but he says, not, not only more valuable than all the gold in the world, but it's also sweeter than honey. I, I know we got families here that make honey. I still got bottles of honey in my cabinet because you've been so generous with that. I love it. I put honey in everything. I put honey in my chili. And then I put hot sauce in it too. So sweet and spicy. Yeah. Sweeter than honey. What do you hear when, when you read God's word? Because so David heard. David heard the voice of his Redeemer, God. Now, now here's the reality. Shift gears. Move over here with me into this different form of thinking okay we thought over here for a while that didn't like just set you on fire for jesus then come over here and think about this with me okay um you think about if you walk into an art gallery anybody here like art any kind of art i like motorcycles i call those art anybody else like motorcycles there's a couple of us okay uh you know <laughs> nobody else likes art are you flipping kidding me you like music anybody like music come on Okay, I got some hands. Anybody like, uh, I don't know, you know, paintings? Anybody like those? Uh, anybody like their trees in their backyard? Okay, I, I want to see everybody's flipping hands go up. That's what I want to see. Do you like art? Artistic, everything. Ah! Anybody like a good movie? By the way, I hear there's a good one out called Tenant. Tenant? Go check out the trailer. Art. There's art all around us, man. But if you walk into an art gallery or a movie theater, anybody like to go to a concert? Yeah, I like concerts. Okay. Um, anybody love it when your kid comes home and like gives you something they drew? It's art, right? Like, 
One of the Sorensen kids gave me a picture last week that they, she had drawn for me. <coughs> Still sitting on my desk because it's special. Here's the thing, though. If I just picked up that piece of art off the floor, I look at it and go, well, this is a pretty good piece of art, right? You walk into an art gallery, <coughs> and you're looking at the art in there, and you go, yeah, that's a really good piece of art, man. Whoever built that bike did a great job with it, but I don't even know what kind of bike it is. Wondering who made that. What you can see in the art is you can see that someone did a fantastic job with it, right? Somebody made this great piece of art. But here's what you won't know. You won't know anything about the artist, aside from maybe a signature card on it, maybe the fact that they were a good artist and they had some good creative skills. You won't know anything else about it. All you'll be able to say is, hey, you know, you know the, the, the person that wrote this, you know, drew this piece of thing on the ground I just picked up, this artistic piece. I, I, don't, I don't know which kid did it, but boy, it sure is cool. Yeah, whoever did that, they did a great job. That's all you're going to know. You're not going to know the name of the person that did it. You're not going to know the reason that they made it, right? Not, you're not going to know why. You're not going to know anything about that person's character. You're not going to know how loving or how much of a snob they are or any of those things. You're not going to know anything about that artist. Same with God. His general revelation is the artistic creation of the cosmos around us. <coughs> And that piece of art is meant to, to awaken us and cause us to come to know Him in the special revelation of His Word. And this is why I keep asking all of us, what do you hear when you read God's Word? So here's the reality. When God speaks, listen, don't miss this. I'll find any that God speaks. Yeah, great. Thanks, Pastor, for telling us that God speaks. Yay, we got something to go home with. Why does it matter that God speaks? Here's why it matters. The reality is that when God speaks, He expects a response. Let that sink in, especially all y'all who don't like to return text messages. All right? Yeah, I'm looking at a few of you specifically. Yes. <laughs> when God speaks, He expects our response. Okay, now, I need to think about this. <coughs> how often, how often have you shouted something at your kiddos? Right? Or shouted something at your spouse? Don't raise your hands. Wanted to shout something at your spouse. Anyways, shouted something at a friend. And in the midst of that shouting, you got absolutely zero response. Didn't say a word. Nothing. Send an email. <coughs> send a text message. <coughs> send a social media message. Never get a reply. Right? Now, for some of you, it might be like, well, that's no big deal. I really don't give a rip if they don't communicate back to me. Okay, we should have another conversation sometime. And the question would be, like, why are you even communicating then if you don't really give a rip that somebody communicates back with you? What's the purpose then? You're just wasting time and wasting letters, right? Wasting space. When this happens, when we try to communicate with someone and they don't communicate back, what do you feel inside? You oftentimes wonder if the other person ever got the message, right? One of the first things. Um, you start wondering if that person even cares, right? Is that person okay? I wonder that. 
You put this in the context of a parent saying to a kid, text message late at night, hey, you're supposed to be home at 10 o'clock, 10.15, no answer. What do you start doing? Flipping the freak out, right? Grabbing your guns, getting in your, whatever, getting in your car. might wonder if you did something to offend that person. Man, it's been like three days since I sent that email. Why aren't they getting back to me? And did I do something to piss them off? What's going on, right? This is, the, this is, in terms of communication, I mean, you can apply this to marriage, families, whatever. Communication is super important, and it begins with God. Here's the question I want you to think about. In what ways has God been speaking to you? expecting a response and getting absolutely zilch, zada, not a nothing. In what ways has God been speaking to you and you've been ignoring him? You've been leaving God on red. You've been walking away like, Pfft. in what ways has God been speaking to you? And he's expecting a response and he's getting nothing. So here's David's response in verses 12 through 14. When David responds to God speaking to him through the cosmos and through his word, his response is a response of both trust and obedience. Those are the two-pronged response of David. Basically, God, I trust you, and God, I will obey you. He asks this question. He starts out with this question, right? In the text, in verse 11, let me find it. In the text, I'm sorry, it's in verse 12. <coughs> in the question, he says, who can discern his errors? That's the way he asked the question. Who can discern his errors? I love that question. My kids will always say to me, oftentimes, and this is funny, this is going to get a whole bunch of like Facebook stuff because my kids are always like, why do you keep using this as illustrations? Well, here's the deal. My kids will be like, hey, why don't you trust me, Dad? Hey, sweetie, it's not, it's not you I don't trust. It's the, Satan, it's the sin inside of you and the Satan outside of you. Sometimes I want to say it's the Satan inside of you, but I don't say that. It's the sin inside of you. <laughs> it's the sin inside of you and the Satan outside of you that I don't trust. Kiddos, you've heard that from me a thousand times, right? They're like, shut up, leave us alone. <laughs> when I say that, I'm drawing back to this question that David is asking. Who, who can discern his own errors? You and I don't know when we get questions wrong on a test. We don't know when we misspell a word. That's why we need teachers in school to grade those tests and the homework, right? Somebody objectively outside of us teaching us and showing us, hey, you're wrong. Error. Question David is asking here is, man, can, can anyone see their own sin on their own? Really, like, think of it. Would any of us really see our own sin? You hear about blind spots when you're driving a car? What happens when you miss something in your blind spot and you go to get over? Destruction, right? You know, the funny thing in the Christian faith about spiritual blindness is that we're actually blind to the fact that we're blind. Physical people know they're blind when they're blind. They're like, yeah, I can't see. I don't have any eyes and whatnot. I was born this way crazy thing about spiritual blindness is you have no clue that you're blind. You need somebody to come over and put some glasses on your face and say, hey, here's what you need to see, brother. Here's what you need to see, sister. Can anyone see their own sin on their own? Like, really, are any of us safe if we're left to our own devices? That's what David's asking, and then he just basically confesses this. He says, man, I need God. I need God to restrain me 
from my sin. I need God to declare me not guilty. I need God to acquit me of my guilt. That's what David's saying. David literally does not want to be mastered by his sin. And here's what David knows. He knows that if God steps in and intervenes and intercepts the ball, then what's going to be happening? David will be kept blameless and innocent. And his final confessional cry of Psalm 19 that he says, that God is his Lord. God is his rock. God is his redeemer. He's trusting his redeeming God. He's trusting his redeeming God alone to keep the words of his mouth and the desires of his heart holy and acceptable in his sight. David's response to God speaking to him through the cosmos and through his word is simply a response of trust and obedience. So I ask this question again. In what ways has God been speaking to you expecting a response and he's getting absolutely silence. Nothing. Is that an indication that your heart is dead? And you need a new heart? Or is it an indication that your heart is barely beating and needs to be reawakened? When was the last time God spoke to you? That's where we started. As I wrap this up, we conclude. When was the last time God spoke to you? What do you hear when you listen to the cosmos around you? What do you hear when you read God's Word? In what ways has God been speaking to you, expecting a response and getting nothing? Because the reality of Psalm 19 is that through the sky, through the Scriptures, God is speaking to us constantly. He's trying to teach us and call us to come to Him in obedient worship. Psalm 19 is really a window into the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. It really is. When you think about the testimony of all the other Scriptures, Romans 1, 19-20 says this, What can be known about God? It's plain to us. Because God has shown it to us. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So, we are without excuse. Think about that passage. What that passage is teaching us is that we have no excuse not to respond to God's general artistic revelation of Himself as the eternally powerful sustainer of the universe. What do you hear when you listen to the cosmos around you? What have you been hearing? What do you hear right now as you think about that? In regard to Jesus, who is the Word of God in the flesh, the Apostle John said in John 1, 1 through 5 and 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, Jesus, was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The special revelation of God is found in His Son, Jesus, in accordance with the testimony of the Scripture. So, what do you hear when you read or when you hear God's Word? What do you hear? <coughs> Finally, Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, says this. says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, you, who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and reproach above reproach before Him. If, Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. I love that last passage. It's just... This is the special revelation of Jesus that we are all called to respond to each and every day. And the question is, in what ways has God been speaking to you and expecting a response from you and you've just been like, forget you. I don't have time for you. Would you respond to Him today? That's the question. Would you not let another day go by before you bow your knee to Him and submit and surrender your life to Him. Now, here's the thing. This is where I typically lose Christians in the gathering. Because they're like, oh yeah, oh I, I know where he's going. He's going to try to get all the sinners in the room saved. You know, shame on you for thinking that. I shock you out of that complacency for a minute. Shame on you for going there. Because as I said last week, the message of salvation should be the language of the relationship between a Christian and his or her Savior. So don't check out in these next moments as I say this. Because the message of salvation is for all of us. The message of salvation is the power of the gospel for salvation and for sanctification, making us walk holy. So, let me ask that question again. 
<laughs> would you not let another day go by before you bow your knee to him and submit and surrender your life to him? Because here's the thing. For all of us in this room, from unbeliever to new believer to old believer to possibly a believer, whatever, the heavens declare the power and the majesty and the eternal nature of God to you. The Bible proclaims the message of redemption through the shed blood and the broken body and the empty tomb and the promised return of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and reigning King. <coughs> your sin, your filth, your rebellion, your hatred, your wickedness, your running away as fast as you can, believer or unbeliever, can't outrun or outsin the power of the cross of Jesus. He's speaking to you through the cosmos. He's speaking to you through the Bible. And He's been speaking to you through the mouth of a man who got flattened by the voice of God on the front bumper of an SUV. And the only question left is, how are you going to respond? I don't know what God's been trying to speak to half of you at least, if not all of you. I can't see your heart, but the Holy Spirit can. How has God been speaking to you? How are you going to respond? Are you going to find some space in the next few minutes? The foot of that bloody cross? Doorway of that empty tomb? Holding fast to the hope of heaven? Is that going to be you? How will you respond? Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray today that you would do a, a work of healing, work of transformation, work of strengthening, work of salvation. We pray that you would do a work that is beyond our words to describe. You know, your word actually tells us that, that we call on you and ask you, and you'll do more than we can describe or ask for. So, God, we ask that you would do a work in us over the next few moments that we can't even imagine. Trust you to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.